you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The Around the NFL podcast doesn't pay me for this. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined in a room filled with heroes, Mark Sessler, Chris Whistling, Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Chris Whistling. Whistling. Hey, Dan. Well, we're telling Chris Blue, uh, Chris Blue to change his name. Wessling is a very fine, strong name, but Chris Whistling has a little mm, uh, that's, there's some punch whimsical feel to yeah. it. Whistling past the graveyard. <laughs> you course. smile immediately when you think of that as a last name. I like it. Um, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Friday show. How's everybody feeling in the studio? Sexy. By the way, this is it, Mark. You, We talk about it all year long, and you lament the fact that the end of certain, you know, certain season benchmarks, like the end of the regular season, the end of the playoffs, uh, even the draft, and it's like, oh, well, it's off-season time now. And you're always saying, not for us, it's not. You know. Well, guess what? This is it. This is the last uh, three-show week before, essentially, the summer break of the NFL. This is the end of the road for us that started in late July of 2018. I mean, I have made – How do you feel? I feel like if – and you maybe no one has noticed, because uh, I haven't even noticed this half the time, but I've made a concerted effort to – be less mouthy about that process because I think the complaint is a bit tiresome at this point. Um, but I will say that as soon as we hit this pause, looming in the distance for me is the avalanche of activity that is just with each day coming closer and closer. It's like when you were a kid and you had, uh, you know, summer vacation came and then you could look at it two ways when like August 1st hit, for instance. You could say, oh, we got another half of summer. Or you're looking down the barrel. I'm ticking it down. I'm like, we have got, this is going to get, where, who am I sitting next to in third grade? This could go very mm. good. This could go very bad. I mean, let's be real. We haven't been tougher. putting in a lot of like 15-hour days over the last month. That's contributed to it. That's Speak contributed. Speak for yourself. For sure. I've been a, a I've been grinding jockey, a lot. Yeah. I've been grinding yeah. a ton. So I know Dan and I have gotten together to look at some odd games from yeah, last there season. Yeah, there was one comment on Twitter today, actually, it, it, really on this topic, saying absolutely on fire this season, talking about the pod. Even Mark sounds interested. <laughs> I mean, it's someone's noticed. I appreciate that. Uh, as I've said many times before, this podcast is fine. It's a B minus. That's solid B minus. But it, that's that's something to be proud of. I think to be not failing. Fine. Yeah. yeah. At least we're not failing. Uh, today's show, last Friday, Wes, while you were uh, on your vacation after your honeymoon. Uh, we went around the NFL and uh, and <laughs> looked at all the news coming out of the mandatory minicamps. 
and um, OTAs for the teams that were active last week. This week, even more teams were in the mix. So a little later in the show, we are going to kind of go boomerang style, back and forth, throwing out some takeaways from the week that was whispers, maybe. Uh, but more just generally things that we took from the week. You have a look. What's well, if I use some of the guys you've already covered last week, just let me know and I'll move on to another guy. Oh, you haven't? I haven't sat down and really absorbed you didn't the show. Absorb it's fine. We don't need show. to. We'll just mention it as if it right, nothing Wes. happened. Just like when. We'll work with you. When Dan and Steve Weiss both had long. Um, <laughs> Who was it? Sammy Watkins points in back-to-back shows. No one said anything. It was fine. It was like, what's really the big difference? Uh, But before we get to that, let's hit a little bit of news. (laughs) And uh, I went, you know, they said, so have you met an SP? <laughs> Justin Bieber came out on the record uh, yesterday, I believe, and said he was only kidding about wanting to fight Tom Cruise. And uh, of course what, he is. What you just heard there is a perfect reason why you would bail on any fight in an octagon, uh, a potential fight to the death with the maniacal Tom Cruise. I mean, Wes was um, pointing out that he was older than Wilford Brimley by a couple. It's five plus years he's older than Wilford Brimley was when he was in Cocoon, which was an awesome nugget. By West, but I always just pointed to the neck up factor that I just found Tom Cruise psychotic enough and mm. wild enough that I wouldn't want to go anywhere near him in a fight. Here's just what, me. Here's what Bieber said. It was a random tweet. It was. I do that stuff sometimes. I think he would probably whoop my ass in a fight. He's got that dad strength. Mm. And but it's not even that. And and Cruise isn't. Or he's just like phenomenal the, the LSD has worn off. <laughs> <laughs> Cruz is in phenomenal shape, but it's beyond that. It's beyond his physical fitness. It's that intensity. Well, that he is electricity in his brain, which is out of control. You hear that, man? He is an actor. I mean, he's acting when he does that. I don't know about that. He's a little out. There. I don't know. In his real life, he seems to be venturing into some strange corners too, and interesting corners. I don't know him to be going around pummeling people in his free time outside of acting. Not until he has to. All right, let's go get going. We'll start on the Throne of Sleaze, where we have some drama going on involving uh, the Pats and the Texans and people that used to work uh, together that no longer work together, and drama. So here's the deal. And you know the history here uh, with the Texans. uh, Their general manager, Rick Smith, leaves the team after his wife falls ill. They go looking for a new GM. They knock on the door of Nick Casero. Uh, they want to meet with Casero, who is the Patriots director of player personnel. That's right. That is correct. Nailed it. Patriots say, no, uh, we don't, we're keeping Nick. Uh, so eventually the Texans land on Brian Gain. That doesn't work out. They let him go after a year. Uh, and now they want to talk to Casero again. Uh, the Patriots don't like it, and they smell something off. So what do they do? They file tampering charges against the Texans related, related to their attempted GM hire of Casero, a source told NFL Network uh, insider Ian Rappaport, ESPN first had this. Um, So we'll see where this goes. The Pats obviously, Greg, believe that the Texans have been trying to make this happen uh, around what the NFL rules are in terms of the ability to communicate with someone uh, that's not connected to your team and they're going for draft picks and, and, and potentially a fine to hit the Texans. And it's just so fascinating because, of course, Bill O'Brien is a Bill Belichick disciple, and I imagine no Christmas cards will be exchanged. Well, there's a lot going on here. Jack Easterby was the team pastor, their chaplain, that they hired way back in 2013 in response to what was going on with Aaron Hernandez. And he did such a good job that he ended up staying with the Patriots for the next five, six years. And, and they called him the culture coach. So he wasn't he wasn't trying to push religion on them, but he was trying to, you know, work with them off the field. And he apparently kind of rose to a, a status where he was involved in the football operations. And he left the Patriots very soon after the Robert Kraft uh, drama from this offseason. 
that we covered. And uh, it's been implied pretty strongly that here's the culture coach. He basically left the Patriots upset about everything after Kraft. And there was a bidding war between the Panthers, the Dolphins, and the Texans to get this guy Easterby. He is now the executive vice president of the, the Texans. He's second in charge of their front office right now. And he's supposedly leading this GM search along with O'Brien. Who was at the ring ceremony with his old buddy Casario? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last Thursday night, I believe it was, uh, you know, just hours before Brian Gain gets hired, hours before they officially uh, request uh, to talk to Casario. That was Jack Easterby, who was up there. And, you know, the Patriots are putting all this together. I don't know if they have any actual evidence or, or what, but it's interesting. It also implies that Casario essentially wants to go. And I think that's what a lot of people have been missing in this story is that if they're already if they're already bringing up draft picks and all this stuff and tampering, he he's out the door. I mean, it's not like they're keeping. It. I hear all well, these talking pa- trade now, right? All these Patriots fans are like, "Well, you don't even know. Maybe he's the one that uh, reported the Texans, and he doesn't even want to." I was like, "No, nah, I don't. I don't. That's think, how they. Talk. I don't think that's Salty how Boston fans. <laughs> I don't think that, from I don't, the I, I had a lot of responses in my tweet. Twitter about that. It's like, hey, maybe he's ratting out the Texans, getting them in trouble. No, I think I think he wants to go and get a big promotion uh, and work with his friend Bill O'Brien. Typically, like a pastor, if they're doing their job correctly, would be based more on internal power um, as opposed to external power. But this this is an interesting route for a New England-based um, religious man to take, where he now is <laughs> high octane involved with the Texans, uh, trying to pull away. Casario. I mean, well, that's I, what's ironic about it. And I think the Patriots are in, if you really want to get deep into it, maybe it's a little more personal for them after Easterby sort of let it be known why he left the Patriots, that now they're getting the character coach of the Texans in trouble for breaking rules. I don't know. It's a little, it's I, a little that, fun. That makes sense. I think I, I would look at Nick Casario as someone that you know, you can say that Belichick and others are going to be there for the next 25 years. I don't think so. I think that there is something of a contingency plan in place, which from a distance I'd have to say has something to do with Josh McDaniels, has something to do with someone like Nick Casario handing over the team in a certain way that would not just drop everyone off a cliff. And how many people can you pull away from this organization? This might be more of the linchpin type figure that New England's fighting for and saying, we also don't like the way it happened. And this whole Bill O'Brien, you were one of our friends, someone we can trust. Well, you're out, buddy. Well, I always thought he sat at the right hand of the father alongside Josh McDaniels. Now it seems like he's the fallen angel like Mangini. Who? O'Brien? O'Brien. You don't want to be on the bad side of Belichick. Mm. Casario is really unique, too, because there's no one in the league that has a job like his. He's a coach. I mean, he's out there on the field coaching the players every day in addition to being the GM he's on the headset on Sundays talking strategy with Josh McDaniels it's kind of a fascinating character in general they said they had him working a lot with Nikhil Harry their wide receiver you know that you see him he, th- there's no one quite like him but they never gave him a nice title there's something weird in New England where they never give you a big title or a big raise and and if to me it's like if this guy was the key to like you know the front office and the in their future like they could have just given him a better title and a raise at any point and they never wanted to so they I don't find know why a way to is. keep the people that they don't want to let go I mean he's come close to some other jobs and it has but they could have given him a different title and and then the Texans would have no choice and they just never did it's it your point judge character on how people treat their family and this guy Casario has been with this organization since 2001 he's been there forever as Greg is saying. Uh, he's not just a guy that works behind the scenes. He's been a, a wide receiver coach. He's been he's a guy that's involved with the on-field action. He's such a key member of the organization. And now, after and you know, with the pay and the job titles, I don't know anything about that. But at this point, this guy supposedly he's pretty underpaid. It's, it's clear that he wants to take the next step in his career, try something new, understandable. He wants to become the general manager, which is one of the most coveted gigs in all professional football. So the Patriots' reaction to this is to what? Get butt butt hurt and try to launch uh, with the NFL an investigation that will essentially, when Casario ends up in Texans with the Texans, potentially put him in a tougher spot. I know this is we're not all best friends. This is the NFL. You're trying to beat the other teams, but you're trying to hurt the guy on his way out the door and make this thing messy instead of just being like, hey, Nick. We love what you do. We'd love to keep you here. We'd love to try to keep you here with a better title or better money. If we can't, 
Best of luck to you, and thanks for everything. Instead, they're turning this into a whole thing, and it's just ugly, and it's very patriot. Well, it's so. yeah, it's. I think they they're feeling like they're taking it out on the Texans, you know, in Easterby. They're and trying. Delaying their search. They're trying to embarrass them, and they clearly don't like the way they think that it went about. That maybe at one of their events that this was going on, and yeah, it's it's <laughs> it is ridiculous because stop in, having ring ceremony, right? It, <laughs> Let's start. I there. mean, they they probably will at some point. Uh, it, it'll probably oh, it'll now. probably end up with like a twenty twenty one sixth round pick. I do not think like Casario is gonna be kneecapped here in terms <laughs> of resources. I mean, you never know. It's a fairly unprecedented story, but I can't imagine this is gonna result in any major uh, trade or anything. All right, so we'll we'll keep an eye on this drama. Um, familial drama. Uh, and let's now spin uh, out of that topic and into camps and the action on the field. This is it. This is the end of mandatory mini camp week. There are also OTAs, voluntary uh, practices for teams, but now uh, it's going to get a lot more quiet in the NFL. So let's go around the horn a few times uh, and throw out some takeaways, things that kind of caught our attention over the course of the past week. Greg, I'll start with you. All right. Uh, I'm going to just start with kind of the news that popped up today since we haven't talked about it uh, at all yet from Mike Silver. Some whispers. Are we doing that? Yeah, that's fine. Why not? In in Cleveland, that Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, uh, installation of his offense maybe hasn't gone as smoothly as they were planning. They haven't had a lot of their best players there, which I think would make it harder. And that Freddie Kitchens, the head coaches, had to kind of step in and become more active in installing the offense. And the only reason I wanted to bring that up today is it, it we haven't talked about that much at all, that Todd Munkin is coming in, and Freddie Kitchens got this job because of what a good job he did with the offense. But Todd Munkin has been a very successful offensive coordinator with his own principles uh, in different places over the last few years. And it's just like not a topic we've talked about. And you could see how there might be some issues there. And it's just an interesting thing for a first-year head coach already to be dealing with. I wondered how they would mesh because before last year, nobody really thought much of either of them in the NFL. That Neither of them were play callers before last year. And they both impressed so much. Um, Monken actually had his play-calling duties take away. But at the time, the Bucks were, I think, number one in the NFL in yards. So it was he impressed me by how open he was getting his receivers. And you could say the same thing about Freddie Kitchen. So to me, it was always interesting which one would win out there. Is it a wait and see, though? Because it's not a big deal. It's just I think it's like it's just an interesting story to read and, and to hear like a first. It's a probably a typical thing for a first year head coach to have to kind of manage uh, when he's never been a head coach before. But I, I thought that when they hired Munkin, it's just like this is a guy who was interviewing for head coaching jobs everywhere including Cleveland. And so that's always, I don't know, that's always a, a little bit of a concern it, it, that you have two guys with two different philosophies and one that wants to be the head coach. It's just it's a, something to deal with. It is a pretty severe left turn. And a reminder that all the Cleveland hype is going to meet with realities in real-life situations because a month ago, Munkin, who I, th- I agree with you, is probably going to be a head coach at some point and is super talented. Like, it, it's just, a, he was added, like, a cherry on top of an offense that had so much talent and Freddie Kitchens and his ingenuity that Munkin, who also would was someone who could relate to Baker Mayfield's college scheme and only add a positive, but then you have to work together and mix all this together. And it's, you know, it's June and maybe it's not going quite as swimmingly as one would have predicted. I thought, Where you were going with that, by the way, Greg, was uh, the Mike Silver report today uh, that, quote, several veteran Browns players approached Baker Mayfield to register their displeasure. Oh, yeah. With his comments. This was a two part tweet by Silver. I took I chose the second part. You're going for the banger up top. Silver, very popular with Browns fans over the past (laughs) couple of years, by the way. Uh, Anyway, so as you know, Baker was outspoken and and expressed his well, disappointment's not the word, but kind of just uh, showed some bravado about... Chastised uh, the man. Called him out. Chastised Duke Johnson, who wants out. He wants to be traded. And uh, Baker said, you could get out of the way or you can join join us. It is what it is. Uh, and uh, apparently, according to Silver, Browns players, veterans, came up to Baker and said, that's not how you should handle this situation. And um, I don't... Same thing. I don't, I, put, I don't put a ton into it. But these... It's interesting that... After, you know, 
weeks and weeks and months of nothing but positive. There are some issues to work through here, um, and this ongoing issue with Duke Johnson is one of them. Well, I think this is one of the reasons why you don't see second-year players as team leaders because he hasn't gone through any of this contract stuff, and he hasn't learned that in the NFL you don't mess with another player's money. Right. It seems like a kind of a – we even talked about at the time that we wonder if Baker would say the same things like five years down the line. I would guess not because he's got some other guys in the locker room just like, hey, leave Duke alone. Yeah. I'm not surprised that he at some point early on said something that was reined in a little by the people around (laughs) him. But I I will say I'd rather have that in a quarterback than a wilting flower that never speaks and seems to not be a leader at all. Yeah, you know, agree. I'd rather have the prior. I guess I'd be curious how he reacted to that. I well, the the other thing that Silver mentioned, I don't want to misquote him, but I was watching it on network, and he sort of said that. He felt that Baker might not agree with it, but he certainly listened to it and didn't, I don't think came back and argued, but he absorbed it and you move on. All right. Let me. Uh, then he threw a punch and knocked, like, <laughs> I was a left tackle, he knocked out or something. Uh, let's move away from the Browns. I'll throw one out there. Uh, you could say I'm going twice in a row, but that was kind of a piggyback. It was just adding on to, mm. to Greg's thing. It's a good yeah. strategy. Uh, it was just accentuated. Good mic time. Yeah. Uh, all right. As we know, Doug Baldwin's done. Uh, in Seattle, and I'm very interested because you trust what they do up there. You trust uh, John Schneider. You trust Pete Carroll, their talent evaluation, uh, going all the way back to I – remember, I remember being on a rooftop in downtown L.A. interviewing Pete Carroll when Matt Flynn was signed to be the Massive starting quarterback. Massive humble brag, by the way. <laughs> Location just... and job duty. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go on now. Uh, After the Seahawks signed Matt Flynn, uh, and the assumption was he would be the starter, and Pete Carroll kept on pounding the table uh, about this kid, Russell Wilson, who they drafted uh, in the mid-rounds, and uh, we all know what happened next with that. Now we're hearing a lot of pop about DK Metcalf, and I I think it's very important for the Seattle offense that doesn't have a ton of uh, – uh, fireworks around it right now beyond their MVP quarterback uh, that Metcalf steps up and makes an immediate impact. Uh, here's what Russell Wilson said on Wednesday. Uh, DK, it's great seeing him make plays. I think he's looking really, really special. He can do anything and everything, and he's tremendous. So this is a guy that got a lot of buzz for his size, his build, his speed. He showed up for the combine interview with his shirt off uh, just to let the Seahawks coaching staff know how hard he is working to be the best he can be physically. Uh, and I just wouldn't be surprised knowing that organization and the fact that there's a superstar quarterback there if Metcalf is a player and they kind of need him to be. It's been interesting to follow this narrative around DK Metcalf since January. Someone who's not in the draft Nick community, you would look at it and say, okay, that nobody really ever heard of this guy during the season. Mm-hmm. Then he takes his shirt off, and everyone says he's a stud. At the Combine, he's a stud the first day, and then the second day, everyone's like, well, he can't really move laterally. <laughs> and then you see everybody start to talk bad about him, right. that he's a, he's a product of hype, that he's a workout warrior. And now it's and then all he the falls back to the pretty other hard guy. in the draft. Like, right. People thought he might be the first receiver taken, and he – Almost it, into round three. But it? now it's like, oh, yeah, all that stuff about him being the best receiver in the draft may have been true after all. He is getting – he's one of the rookies to watch. I mean, he – partly it's partly because of the fan base but and the opportunity that's there. But I feel like more has been written about him on a day-to-day basis than just about any rookie in the league. Well, maybe it's because of who the head coach is, but you're also seeing a lot of hype about David Moore. Pete Carroll said he was the most improved player – in their mini camp. You hear a lot of stuff about Jerron Brown, who looks like a totally different guy this year. So three of their wide receivers are getting incredible hype mm. this offseason. Yeah, I mean, in Russell Wilson, who probably yeah. is not the type to come out and call someone out, spent time talking about David Moore on Network Today, gushing over him. So, you know, we'll see. Wes, that was a really good piggyback on my comment. Oh, yeah. And that oh, leads yeah. right into your own. Well, I'm just Now, there's a pattern family. here. I want everyone to realize there's a pattern. You must have something on the previous person's comment before you launch into your own. Or I'll break it. I'll and break I, it. I think Erica should jump in too and, and do a piggyback yes. and have her own whisper. You have Absolutely. four minutes to get this ready, Erica. Absolutely. Wes, you're up. Uh, big breakout candidate this year. I'm trying to identify some guys. If, if our listeners haven't been paying attention this offseason, some guys to keep in mind for training camp as breakout candidates for fantasy. 
And to me, the most obvious one is Marcus Valdez Scantling from mm. the Packers. MVS. Who you hear he's picking up Matt LaFleur's offense faster than anybody. Aaron Rodgers says he's an every down player. Their beat writers are saying it's not Geronimo Allison playing next to Devontae Adams in two two wide receiver sets. It's MVS playing there. And this guy, I believe at one point in his rookie year, had three 100-yard games in a four-week span. Um, he can play. So to me... If Aaron Rodgers trusts him, and it sounds like he does, Aaron Rodgers is one of the guys saying that this guy's ready to take on this role. You know that they didn't pick up anybody in the offseason because we talked about it over and over again. Packers need to pick somebody up. They must have a lot of confidence in MVS, who to me looks like a huge breakout candidate. You want a piggyback? I'll give you one. Along with the fact that the offense fits him absolutely perfectly, it sounds like it just maximizes everything they like about him, and it's a speed-based offense, and we know that. But Michael Silver, let's go back to – he's been working hard. He's been grinding his story. We know that Aaron Rodgers is Mm -hmm. a friend of Michael Silver and someone that speaks to Michael Silver. And it was Rodgers asked about this offense, said that as – just as Devontae Adams has said, and and MVS – and by the way, his nickname – is MVS, I discovered. Makes sense. He was he was quoted at, in, the, in a show you were not here. We said, if you're not using MVS as a nickname, you're an idiot. But he is. And we thought it might get in the way of Michael David Smith, the pro football yes. talk, MDS. But apparently the Packers can see the They're difference between those two. Well, we, yes. We, when we did the show last Friday, you I spoke about, about MVS and Aaron Rodgers. You're supposed to interrupt me and tell me you covered it. But he added, he added a layer to it. But then Mark though. had a piggyback, and I didn't want to jump on his piggyback. Well, so let me, let me finish this, then you can <laughs> piggyback on, on this. But Rodgers, <laughs> on top of saying that the defense would be stretched with speed and tempo and liking all that, did express concern per Silver about less of a chance to audible down out of a play at the line of scrimmage, which we know he is wont to do and one of the best in the league at doing, and actually had a quote that said, I don't think you want me to turn off 11 years of experience. Mm. So what will happen between, and Aaron Rodgers, he calls out players now and again, you know, if you're Baker Mayfield, tiss, tiss. But if Aaron Rodgers, oh, you're going to the NFC Championship. But what happens between Aaron Rodgers <laughs> a bit of a and head coach there, there okay. in terms of when they, you know, Aaron Rodgers wants to do what he does on every snap, which is like draw six people off sides by mm. using his jargon at the line of scrimmage before the the <laughs> clock expires. What happens That's then? That's how you see the breakdown? Well, I, I <laughs> is this a Mondo piggy bank or is that your topic? That is not my topic. <laughs> well, I think this was, you know, let's mark down the date, June 13th, that Mark started turning against the 2019 Packers and trying to start drama. We got six months into the year. <laughs> All right, Mark, what do you got? I, th- there wasn't a lot of news out of Cowboys camp, but there's something about it when you talk about whispers and mystery. And I have long, for long periods of time outside of Zeke Elliott, found the Cowboys offense to be somewhat dull. And you're exposed to it on a heavy basis because it's on, they're on prime time left and right. And the Dak, you know, the Dak Prescott experience, I thought sunk a little bit last year where at times until they kind of got their, to, like, their groove together with Amari Cooper, things were an issue. But now that Kellen Moore, their previous backup, is now their offensive coordinator, there are these amazing reports coming out about what they're planning to do with this offense. And it uses a lot of plays that they've had in place, even when Kellen Moore was the quarterback and Scott Linehan was running a rather stale system. But now Kellen Moore, who always was described as a coach's son who would be a future coach, is in that role. He is bringing huge elements of what he ran at Boise. And basically what that means from an incre- a really nice report, if you want to check it out, if you're listening to this, Joseph Fariolia of InsideThePylon.com went deep on this. It, it is a whisper-packed piece, in my opinion, about an offense that is going to essentially do everything they can to F up the defense before the ball is snapped with an array of formations, snap motions, shifts, all sorts of stuff where they're going to use disguises to keep the defense on their heels while Dak Prescott will get more time to look at coverages. All that sounds like what every team does, except it's not what the Cowboys were doing before. They're adding all of this to the Cowboys offense. And the comment also was that Zeke Elliott has really looked good in this situation. Amari Cooper talked about it as being something we are running the same plays, but we're disguising them. And he feels like he is in a much better system for him as well. So it's a whisper because we're not seeing a lot of it today, Mm. but the Cowboys as a more exciting team. And when you pair it with their defense, which I think if we look at, if you can pick up where you left off last year, hard to do. Don't just hand out the NFC East to someone else quite yet. I'm excited about that. 
Aren't you guys? I mean, I'm with Mark. They've been a tough offense to watch. Yeah, I agree. And it reminds me of a Freddie Kitchens quote from late in the 2018 season where he basically said, if you're not making the defense guess before the snap, you're not doing it right in today's NFL. And Kellen Moore, since he came, you know, since he's been on that staff for a couple of years as a quarterback's coach, I was just, I just hadn't put a lot of thought into what changes he's going to bring. I just sort of thought maybe it'll be more of the same. But Dan Orlovsky, who who worked with Kellen Moore uh, in Detroit, talked about this. I'm glad you brought it up, Mike, on the Mina Kimes podcast one time. saying he expects them to go four wide a lot. He expects Dak to be running the ball a lot, like spread uh, a lot of movement all around, and that it will be more of those sort of... That would explain why they didn't cut Alan Hearns. Right. They want to go four wide. Like Boise and spread and just a lot more principles, which is totally different than what they've been. Biggie bank, Erica. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. Technically, what do you think about the ca- these Cowboys, you know? I don't know. I think that the Cowboys, don't, you guys don't give them enough credit. I feel Thank like they you. got as far as they did last year, and you guys still aren't sold on them. I don't think they're an especially exciting team, but they got to where they were for the, for a reason, I guess. Can't Absolutely. argue with the numbers, you know? Excellent. Enough. Solid. I think that's good. You know, it is an exciting team, the Shield. Uh, and a big matchup against the six and two Barney's Nooners, and always a longtime rival. Our longest rival. This is like Steelers uh, Ravens. We we didn't just beat Barney's Nooners. We embarrassed them. We humbled them. Throttled. Throttled. Manhandled. Manhandled. It was a humiliating affair in which we put up six runs in the top of the first, and really never looked back. There was never the game was never in doubt. It was ten nothing by the end of the second. We won twenty six. To six. This is one of the teams we Ouch. played in the playoffs mm-hmm. when I was there. Oh, yep. yeah. It's a team we beat in the finals the first year. They were reduced to rubble to the point where they were groveling about the umpire. Oh, they like to complain. I yes. Yeah, they were down 20 that. runs and complaining that. about uh, the strike zone. The umpire, even after the game, we were having a couple of brew dogs uh, <laughs> celebrating, <laughs> enjoying ourselves. And the umpire, who was also working the second game of the night in between innings, leaned over to us and, and basically – cursed out, out the team and was like, they're telling me that the strike zone's off. You're losing by 20 runs. <laughs> yeah. Terrible strategy by them. They'll see that ump again, I'm sure. And in related Shield news, Ricky, people did throw it out there. They floated the possibility that our missing um, female outfielder, maybe there's some connected tissue between you starting the game that caused her to storm out with her dog and then the fire at your apartment. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It could have been, it could have been some foul play. I mean, if you want to press charges, I'm not saying that I, I I wouldn't go down to the police station with you. I don't think like after the softball game speculation counts as actual (laughs) research on this topic. I'd get like a low level PI on that though. Yeah. All right, let's go around the horn again. Let's be a little quicker this time. Let's kind of just make our points, and we try to get around a couple more times. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to – summer break begins. I'm going to mention the conversation in Carolina about their new 3-4 defense, that Ron Rivera has been there for seven years. He's run a 4-3 defense the whole time. You kind of think of them as this big four-man front. They are a 3-4 defense, and they are, like, hammering it home pretty hard. K1 Short is now a defensive end. Gerald McCoy is a defensive end. Uh, you know, Luke Kuechly's going to be in a different role. And that's something that's kind of, I, I think I saw it once early on, but it, it didn't really strike me as that big of a deal. But that is a pretty big change for them. And it's interesting that a coach that's been there for so long just wants to make a change like that. And I think it's smart. I think you go with the personnel that you have and what you think is going to be best. It sounds like the Patriots are also going to be doing more for linebackers on the field uh, this year too. So two two teams that have been around a, a while and have gone back and forth because they have good linebackers well, in, in New England. It makes Brian Burns one of the most important rookies in the league. Right, because they need him to be kind of that edge rusher that, yeah. that's standing up. Um, everybody knows uh, I love the Jets, and I try not to talk about them too much. You'd be surprised to hear that. <laughs> I really do hold back. If I could do it, I would talk about them every episode. It would just be a Jets podcast. Yeah, I, lo- I love the Jets. They're my favorite team. Uh, but th- you know what? It's It's been a rough you know, seven or eight years, uh, almost running the entire span of my time working here. But for the first time, I'm so excited. I, there's, there's optimism in, in a way that um, I don't remember. Even with the Rex Ryan years, it kind of snuck up on you when they got good. And then before you could even like kind of get into the flow of it, it was over. With the Jets now, there just feels there's a bubbling and a sense that they're trending in the right direction. And the the hire of Joe Douglas, 
uh, this week is just the latest example of that. And um, Sam Darnold, who I'm I'm very optimistic about uh, making a big leap in year two, and I'm not alone. Everyone that follows the game closely sees this guy is a great, great, um, have great potential at quarterback. And their Jets um, wide receivers coach had a, a great line uh, at on Thursday at the Jets facility when he was asked to give an assessment of Darnold's skills. Uh, here is the quote. Excuse my French when I say this, but he's a f-ing dude. He's a f-ing dude with a f-ing arm, and he's accurate as shit. So excuse that. I don't know who this Sean Jefferson guy is. I don't know if he can coach wide receivers. It's been around for. But a long I like time. the cut of his jib. Long time player. I'll tell you that. <laughs> used to be the Titans wide receivers coach. I remember he used to say uh, Justin Hunter was going to be the next Randy Moss. <laughs> um. So that's a piggyback. Yeah. <laughs> That's that nice. was like a piggyback, and then you like, you know, tore. Then you like tore you, him to the you ground. You cut the, the pig's neck open with a knife. Uh, he said other things too. I don't want to limit like the Sean Jefferson portfolio to just hyping Justin Hunter. Uh, the rest of the guys in the room will. Don't worry. But I, I honestly believe that um, it's just a fun time to be a Jet fan, and you, nobody's gonna pull the wind out of my sails right now. Good for you. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm excited. Even like Greg Williams had his press conference doing Greg Williams things again, like telling, letting people know that he told Jamal Adams that he's coached much better players than him. What a... (laughs) Give me a break. Jamal Adams should have said, I've had better coaches than you. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, he's just tweaking. He's having fun. And again, everybody else can make fun of Adam Gase and Greg Williams. Can we I just, like the coaching staff. I, I don't think in this room that we're anti-Jets at all. We'd be happy for you if they were competitive. Okay. Well, I'm just. Are uh, you anti-Browns, for instance? No. Certainly. Well, then certainly it goes in reverse. Like no one's. I think out you're here. reading into this a little differently. Well, you said everyone else about. in the room would pour oil and salt and water and gas on. on I was talking about the the, um, the chuckles over Sean Jefferson. Oh, well, it was funny. It was. Funny, it was a funny I joke. I mostly want. Erica to now make like one of those social videos where she has some good graphics with the image of uh, Mark slitting a pig's throat, which uh, kind of slipped under the radar. That well, it was he, Wes who jumped and, on the pig's he back. Actually, not me, he actually made a, a cutting motion for everyone that's not in the room of, of himself slitting the Well, that's how it works. Throat. It's called acting and performance. <laughs> Did it look a little too natural? Anyway, Sean not Jefferson, you're the man, and um, all those Jets haters, it's going to be a tough couple of years because we are on the rise. Start with that big Browns matchup. Oh, yeah. Revenge, Mark. Revenge. You can tell because Dan's little nugget was Baker Mayfield based. And Dan is quietly <laughs> heat-seeking the Browns. Well, yeah, he, he does not want the Browns to succeed. He at all. You can feel it. I like that we are we are now setting up. It. We are He's, setting it's up. It's the little seven-year-old Dan right here. All the little childhood emotions coming out, and it is overt, and I love it. We are. You're a sick man, I, Mark. No, you. I am correct. You know it. We you are setting it. up You're some great. You know it. Some great plot lines for the. Tw- you know it because you are already annoyed by last year so much. About what? You, Baker Mayfield, Darnold, the whole thing. Yes, you are. Well, if I was- I'm not. I mean, this is this is a classic Sessler move. You're no, it's building not. things up in your brain. I want the Browns to be good. Sure I want the do. Jets and the Browns to be playoff teams. Oh, uh, I hope we'll you feel say. the same way. I just express that I do, but it's it's, it's something okay. about it feels a little raw from okay. the Jets angle. Okay. A lot of straw men about okay. all these people can't stand the Jets. It's like just we're fine if they're good. Uh, I'm not talking about you specifically. Well, it's but if definitely, your mind wants to make it that way, I would wonder I what the other people that. in the room think. That's your I control. I think we finally have our answer to what would happen if the Browns and Jets just became just a little bit interesting. It won't be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really do want the Browns. I want you to be happy. With I don't need that, but I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want me... <laughs> To want you to be I don't happy. want I don't want you railing on them week after week. That just simply lowers the enjoyment of. Football, I certainly but. won't do that. I won't do that. I promise you. Why would I? Unless they deserve it, just like any other team. I will. We will see. All right. We will see. They both suck. We both argued about which which fan base has had it worse forever. And now we're now if they both get good, it's going to get <laughs> effing ugly. I can feel it. <laughs> oh, it's I, not a one sided. Just Mark is Mark is that. acting crazy. I didn't it's think like, that no, until nonsense. today's show. Skip to, nonsense. skip to the skip to week two. Who needs nonsense. this opening week? Whoever they're playing, get right to seriously. That. I, agree. I don't you know, know why Mark. they did that. Actually, I will say they have Cleveland playing Tennessee. I don't know who the Jets are playing. They should have just paired them up. That that's the. And if that's where Monday Night Football about started. 
Well, no, but it started there. Let's quit so. jerking around here and put some sandwiches on the line. Uh, sure. I, sure. The Jets will take care of business. The Browns are going to be a mess in September, so. It's in New York. I mean, I think the Jets would be heavily favored. I'm happy to heavily bet a sandwich. What? Heavily favored. <laughs> I'm happy to bet a sandwich. They would be, at, at least at this very moment, I think they, yeah, I'm setting the line at Jets minus one. You thought you thought Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley was saying, bad. I'm just saying. I think I think the Browns would be favored at a neutral field. It's in New York. It's about yeah. It's about a pickup. You thought Hugh and, and Todd Haley was bad. Just wait till Todd Monken and Freddie Kitchens square off. <laughs> He's lashing out. Not really worried. No doubt. Don't worry. <laughs> well, if we're gonna do it, let's have fun with it. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Wes. <laughs> That's gonna be hard to follow. <laughs> All right, we're sticking on the fantasy football beat here. All right. James Conner of the Steelers last year, we saw him used in the Le'Veon Bell three-down roll, big pass-catching volume and big running volume, and he is now saying the plan is to spread it around with Jalen Samuels and rookie Benny Snell. I'm saying hold off on the panic button if you're a James Conner devotee in Mm. fantasy football. Let's find out if Benny Snell is good enough to eat into his workload first. Let's find out if Jalen Samuels, who was barely used last year until didn't, Connor got injured. Was not impressive, I would not say, in, in the limited time. He, looked, he was a rookie. He looked like Marcel Reese. <laughs> I mean, Marcel Reese made a Pro Bowl if you put him in the right role. Yeah, he's a bit of an H-back, fullback kind of, kind of guy. These things work mm. for about a week or two until the overt better player needs to be used in a pinch. And the then Steelers, throughout. The Steelers love Benny Snell in the draft. Most Draft Knicks, I heard, thought he was entirely too slow to be a, an NFL running back. Well, I get why they're thinking that way because they have not made it to the mid halfway through December with a healthy running back in I don't know how long. You know, like they always load up their running backs and then they never quite make it healthy to the end of the year with, That's, with Le'Veon Bell and now Jim, James Conner. Can we get back to Marcel Reese? <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, that's a great June plan, and we hear this all the right. time. And then once the game start, the coach says, my job's on the line. I'm playing my best play. Yep. By the way, Greg, you undersold. You gave him credit like this guy could play, but you undersold it. Four-time Pro Bowler, second-team All-Pro 2013. Yeah, I didn't really know how to respond because I was saying Jalen Samuels wasn't that good, and then you, you hit me with uh, Marcel Roos, who played fullback. but Who plays uh, a position that is extinct <laughs> in the NFL. <laughs> It was one of the, uh, it was one of those things like John Kuhn is like a seventy four time Pro Bowler, right? Exactly, but he had a nice couple of moments, Marcel. Well, there's Kyle Uzcheck and no one else. You're not yeah. wrong. All right, Mark, you're up. I know that we've talked about the Cardinals a bunch, but I thought that there was some interesting new information about, for me, why they drafted it increased information why they went after Kyler Murray and made the changes they did and didn't have Josh Rosen suddenly learning a new offense. And it's because Kyler Murray, and this comes from Larry Fitzgerald to Steve Weish, basically said has been in the driver's seat from day one, that he is teaching the offense to Larry Fitzgerald, to all the other veterans, that he basically has, from the second he stepped in there, showed total command to the point where the only issue that he not that he's been perfect, but the biggest issue that he faces is that this offense, which let's stop even throw out all the Chip Kelly business because they're completely different schemes. It's just that they're both unknown going into their first year. But this is a completely different speed-based, four-wide type deal that's going to force defenders to make choices on every play. And the only thing that sort of slowed down Kyler Murray so far in camp has been that the veterans and other players who are not familiar familiar with Cliff Kingsbury's offense have been intellectually trying to figure out after the snap what to do and where to go. Everyone else is catching up to the quarterback, which to me, whether this works or not, I have put to bed any concerns about the draft choice they made because they found the quarterback that is perfect for their system, which is what do you want to do with every position in your offense? And if you're going to make this thing work, and Cliff Kingsbury is not someone that probably would have been given a 10-year rope to make it work if it has hiccups along the way, you go and get the guy. And so far, and athletically they said he's been like amazing to watch as well, this feels like a home run, and I'm thinking of our friend Jason Zumwalt, mm. Dan's childhood friend or college friend or adult friend that who became our adult <laughs> friend, a great guy who has had to go through a lot of nonsense friend, yeah. just as much as us <laughs> with the Cardinals. And I'll tell you what, he's going to be excited because this team is going to be fun to watch. I hope so. I think he, le- he might lead all-time podcast like mentions in terms of not you know, just like uh, not part of the – not on the podcast, well, but he's just – Bob's got to be close, right? 
Bob's in the mix. David probably. Ely. Spice Rack. David Ely, Spice Rack. There's some. This unnamed uh, softball. Simone. Is- issue. <laughs> this person. <laughs> I can't name who the person on the softball team is, but. All right, want to go one more time around? Even if you want to throw a double banger in there, mm. just two quick I know. I, I feel like I've just got a bunch of B minus C pluses. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go speed round and just say them all rapid ahead. fire. All right. There is no more hyped player period from the OTA season than David Montgomery, the running back for the Bears. We, we've covered that a little bit. But he is, he is number one in terms of hype. Marquise Goodwin, n- no longer going to be – playing that many snaps. They're having him do less routes. He is clearly not going to be a starter anymore in San Francisco. Travis Frederick, who's kind of the key to that Cowboys offensive line, still has not been on the field uh, for team drills at all yet, and he's coming back from a shoulder surgery and the Guillain Bear syndrome, so I feel like that is a mm. major uh, thing to watch in training camp. And then Titus Howard, who everyone assumed the Texans drafted to be their left tackle or right tackle, has played guard throughout training camp. And actually, one more last one. How about Jarrett Stidham? Patriots athletic uh, beat writer says Stidham looked better in his first couple of months than Jimmy G or Jacoby Brissett. Do we have another writer. quarterback to uh, pump Wait, up? Wait, the quarterback that looks better? Jarrett Stidham, their fourth-round wow. p- draft pick. What's an athletic beat writer? What do you- uh, the, for the athletic. The oh, beat writer okay. for uh, the He's athletic. no Connor Hughes. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's go up to Western New York. LaShawn McCoy coming off his worst season of his career, 3.2 yards a carry. Uh, well, here's a great LaShawn McCoy quote. I'm the type of guy I thrive off having a big name. So when guys come to my team, they're curious to see how is LaShawn McCoy? Is he a good player? I mean, I'm a dominant player. I think that speaks for itself. But I'll be in the same role as last year, and I look forward to putting some numbers up and bouncing back from that last season. <laughs> wow. His accent changed dramatically. <laughs> that is not what he wants here. And by the way, you will not have the same role because now there's approximately 47 veteran quarterbacks uh, or running backs to compete with. Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon, Devin Singletary. Uh, all on the roster. Singletary is a third-round pick. He's going to get some carries. We'll see what's happening with uh, that running back position. Uh, kicker update. The Bears, because they've made this into a, you know. I'll wait for the music. The Bears have made this a total, you know, to-do. It's it's just the biggest story around this team is trying to find a kicker. Well, finally some good news out of camp. Nagy called on Elliot Smallfry and cousin Eddie Pinheiro to try 40 yarders. Now they're just moving it in closer and closer, just looking for a win. It was 42, now it's 40. Uh, misses would have meant conditioning work, makes, practice is over, and they get started on the pre-camp break. Well, they nailed both of their kicks. Nagy, it was a win for them today. I feel like they've tried oh, to God. do this thing where it's like creates a fun moment for the kicker like seven different times and it finally worked. Right. It finally it was like a twelve yard field goal. I would hate going to work if I were a kicker in the <laughs> no, Bears the organization. And my final nugget is uh I love trope alerts. I love this time of season because you could always find the same story over and over. It's mad libs. Uh so let's go trope alert, two stories. Taylor Gabriel of the Bears sees a quote drastic trope change. Alert. And Mitchell Trubisky's confidence. Big trope alert around confidence and especially the quarterback position. And one more, also the quarterback, Lamar Jackson. He might be working with Tom House, the QB whisperer, uh, before training camp. Not even definitely. He might be. Jimmy G's working with Tom House, he said, in L.A. too. So they're hanging out out together. He did? Yeah, he asked it of of Lamar Jackson and uh, then got some sort of a fist bump that they talked about endlessly on NFL Network. Enjoyably, too. (laughs) It sounds like it. Uh, But, yes, insert young quarterback here to work with Tom House before training camp. Every year, book it. Wes? Mm. Devontae Freeman. Healthy, looking like his old self, and no longer has Tevin Coleman to contend with for touches. Keep him on your radar in fantasy as a bounce-back guy. Love him. He can play. Uh, another guy, carry on Johnson from the Lions. Theo Riddick, no lock to make this roster, and they want to pass the ball to carry on Johnson more this year. He looked phenomenal before his season-ending injury last year. Another interesting fantasy guy. Uh, Trent Taylor of the 49ers separating from Richie James for the slot receiver rule. Trent Taylor is going to win that job because he's a good player. Mm. Um, Scott Miller of the Bucks, rookie sixth rounder, getting some John Brown buzz as the new John Brown and Bruce Arians offense. We'll keep an eye on that one in the preseason. Smokey Jr. Smokey Jr. 
And the Colts may have the most enviable tight end depth in the league. Jack Doyle back on the field running routes after surgery. Eric Ebron coming off a record-setting season for touchdowns in Indianapolis. And Mo Alley-Cox looks like he could be the new, the next um, basketball to tight end star. Mm, Colts are going to be a problem. Close it out, Mark. Hey, I thought it interesting that in Pittsburgh, beat reporters who were trying to find out what Terrell Austin's role was, Terrell Austin's role was as coach there, and that he's been hired essentially to be someone that is that deals almost essentially with just on-field challenges to help Mike Tomlin with challenges because Tomlin's had some issues with that in the past. In Minnesota, Kevin Stefanski, who was almost hired by the Browns to do that uh, role that Todd Monken is now in, is now there, well, also for head coach. They say that Kirk Cousins, essentially the minute that he became the OC last year, Kevin Stefanski, that Cousins settled down and felt much better. They liked the relationship. People can see it. Obviously, Mike Zimmer's very happy because Gary Kubiak is probably running the entire thing like the emperor from Star Wars behind the scenes. (laughs) And I thought this was interesting that they did an interview. um, It was Tom Pelissero with Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. And Adam Thielen, I love them, both very likable guys, would not stop talking. And Stefan Diggs did that thing where there's two people on an interview and Diggs was like, when am I going to get a chance to talk here? Ooh. And at one point he said one little thing and then Thielen jumped back in with another like two and a half minute long comment mm. and Diggs, who I think is a pretty charismatic dude, was like, I'm on NFL Network. I want my due. Now maybe I read the entire thing wrong if you're listening Network. <laughs> no, people, I like it. This but it interests This me. is what we're looking for. I got to find a link to that. Our boy That's Chris Hare. You remember him? He works for Chargers Weekly, the podcast. Yeah, Dan nice and I have been on it. Good guy. He also worked on our Pick'em show that went south after two seasons. But he told me that Gus Bradley down at Chargers camp has been talking up linebacker Drew Tranquil out of Notre Dame. And if you think, I feel like the Chargers linebacker core in years past, I'm not talking about their pass rushers, has been an issue. It's starting to get deep and that defense has very few weaknesses at all. Also, another linebacker update in the Colts system. They could not be any better. With Darius Leonard out right now, linebacker Bobby Okariki, if I'm saying that right, (laughs) has been dominant so far in camp activity. So, nice. The rich get richer on that front. And the last one I have for you is that Jerry McDonald... The rich get rich. I know. It suddenly feels like a two-minute sports update on, like, Milwaukee. The 2020 flash. Jerry McDonald out of the Bay Area News Group. We're all like, oh, Antonio Brown, is he going to fall off a cliff now that he's got Derek Carr? Is it going to be over? He's just going to be annoying but not good. Said that the best training camp performers he's ever seen are quarterback Jeff George and running back Darren McFadden largely because they could not be hit or tackled in these camp practices. But yeah. the same goes for Antonio Brown, saying that he's never seen anything like it on the field, cover, cover the Raiders for a long time. Thank you, McMahon. <laughs> Back after this. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have anything else, Erica? No. No, I didn't think so. A little disappointing. Yeah, way to bring the show to a screeching halt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I can't follow follow Mark. That I was mean, so that, that was, was so fun. good. I'm interested to see a lot of the uh, quarterback battles. That's oh, always good. a fun thing That's to watch. That's good. That's good. <laughs> good nug. Good. Dan, your hair looks bad today. Good oh, luck. Wait a minute, uncalled for. <laughs> good like go to vague uh, football analysis. That is, you know how to hurt me. Eric. <laughs> and you have, and it, actually you're right. I'm not using my Redken product. Uh, it's looking good. <laughs> It's fine. It's like the show. All right. Before we go, um, it is the final show of the um, school year. Well, I'll call it that. A long school year. It started <laughs> late last July. has come to a close here. You see how they're doing this to us, by the way. When we started the NFL, there was the, there was defined boundaries. Now this our school year goes from Late July to mid June. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. And we're by the way, it's not we're in summer school also because it's not like we're going away. So no, we'll be back with two shows next week. So yeah, uh, tune in for that. Um, uh, also, the NFL Media Talent Summit is next week, and we're gonna try. Well, we can't. This is not a promise, but that means everyone kind of they have everyone fly into Los Angeles, and there's this big old meeting with all the suits and and. There's like an auditorium. It is kind of like being back in school. Swanky uh, like hotel. Like a summer school at a swanky hotel on, on the water here. Um, and, we're, and we play the role of kind of like the 
you know, the kind of the nerdy, like the creative nerdy guys in the back that everyone likes, but not really ultimately a part of the important power structure. Right. Like when we got, they did last year, they did something. It's like, oh, I like uh, those guys, you know, but ultimately not the big moving and shaking. Last year, something, I don't know if it comes back, but they um, organized some type of improv session where they were calling up all different, you know, big stars and Kurt Warner and and Shaq and Colleen. Matt Money Smith was a Matt Money Smith. He was good, yeah. Uh, We got called up, too, and I'm sure there was some internal monologuing going on uh, with, like, a Michael Irvin, by the way, uh, for for one. Like, who the hell is that? (laughs) Basically, yeah. (laughs) So that will probably happen again, and we'll be flooded with those same uh, feelings of uh, insecurity. Deion Sanders did say hello to me, not because he knows who I am, just because I was in his way. Oh, young buck. Simply in his way. (laughs) Oh, excuse me there, young buck. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we go, Mark, why don't you um, do your thing and take us away with, with one of your famous Mark Sessler meditations. Take a deep breath in. And as you breathe out, close your eyes and begin to relax, bringing attention to your breath. Let go of your concerns, your day-to-day worries, and see yourself as a being of light, traveling now along a beautiful seaside cliff, your feet touching the sandy path below, Now you pause to sit and rest on a calm patch of green grass along the cliff. The air is salty and alive. The sea below crashing against the rocks. You feel your troubles flittering away in the ocean air. And then you see a figure approaching down the path, sturdy and strong and caring. And now this figure is kneeling down beside you, smiling. And it is Wes, in a lush vacation cardigan picked out by Lakeisha, especially for you to enjoy. (laughs) Wes smiles and calmly begins to tell you a winding narrative about the Jerry Tarkanian-led UNLV running Rebels basketball dynasty of the early 90s. Stacy Ogman was a key figure, he tells you. <laughs> you feel a sense of enormous peace with Wes sitting beside you. The feeling of almost being underwater in that ocean below, surrounded by the endless sea. But also, you are very wet. Your clothes are soaked. Annoyingly so. And that is because from high above on a cliff way up, Erica Tamposi has launched a globe-sized water balloon into the air, a balloon that landed point blank on your crown chakra. Never trade for Iranian arms, she shouts. (laughs) Never do it. Oh, for sake, meditation over. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, 
you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.